listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. If you got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn with us to Ephesians chapter number 1. We're going to finish out this section that we began uh, a few weeks ago where Paul is just leading at the very beginning of this letter that he has written to the Ephesian believers while he's under Roman incarceration. Paul has started this letter with this praise that he has and he's wanting to lead the church in a praise to to the to the God who has revealed himself as Father Son and Holy Spirit. And so just as a matter of review, while we'll pick up in verse 11 today, as we look back over the verses 3 through 14 and and moving forward, we want to remember that Paul has encouraged us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul has said, we as followers of Jesus should praise God and we should praise specifically God the Father because in Christ he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, meaning that God has provided for us who are followers of Jesus by faith, who have by faith believed in his death and resurrection as the only payment for our sin. For those of us who are Christians by faith, we have been given and provided everything we need to accomplish everything God will ever ask of us. And it's sourced in the place where he resides and it is stored in the place where he resides. So in those heavenly realms, we have access to everything we need in any circumstance we find ourselves in to accomplish everything that he's called us to. So we praise God the Father because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we praise God the Father because in in his sovereignty, he chose us in him before the creation of the world that he might make us holy and blameless. Christian, we, we, we recognize and we see that, that we didn't choose God. We didn't come to him. He came first to us before the foundation of the world, choosing us and determining that he was going to make us holy and blameless in his sight. We praise God the Father because he accomplished this this choosing by his own predetermining beforehand because he predestined us. We are chosen in Christ to be made holy and blameless because God has already foreordained that he would adopt us as sons and daughters, that he would bring us into his family all according to and fueled by His grace, to the praise of His glory that is characterized by His grace. Favor on us that's not deserved by us, yet is given to us by His grace. We praise God the Father. And then Paul moves into the second section of this praise where he says, and we praise God the Son because He has provided for us redemption. He has bought us back. He has, he has, has, has set us free, if you will, from our captivity to sin. He's redeemed us. We praise God the Father because He has 
forgiven us of our, tra- of our trespasses, our sins. And all this is accomplished, Paul tells us, in His blood shed for you, shed for me on that cross of no fault of His own, but, for, but, but by His grace and His willingness to sacrifice Himself as a holy sacrifice sufficient for your sin and mine. We praise God the Son because in His blood we have forgiveness of our sin. We have redemption from our slavery to sin all in His blood. We praise God the Son because not only in His grace did He provide redemption and forgiveness, but Paul goes on to say that this grace is then in turn lavished upon us. Grace on top of grace on top of grace that He's given to us, poured out in abundance so that in that grace we might walk in those benefits that are ours, regardless of what we're facing to accomplish everything God has called us to do and to be. We praise God the Son because we have been brought, he finally says, because we have been brought into God's salvation purposes, which have always been about Jesus his death, and His resurrection. And all of this, Paul says, will culminate in the fulfillment of time as as in Christ He brings all things together, things in heaven and things on earth. We praise God the Son for what He has done. And so when we pick up in verse number 11, we're continuing in in this utterance of praise to God the Son. And today we'll finish out this praise section and and we'll pick up in verse 11 where Paul continues to and he says in him referring to in Christ in Jesus we praise him because the verse says because we have obtained an inheritance. Now I want to take a few minutes to kind of unpack that phrase. You see, that phrase is the translation of one Greek word. And it's a, a Greek word that only appears one time in the New Testament. And that word is, if I can find it in my notes, klerao, uh, which is Greek to all of us, but it's a word that that while it's only used that one time in the classical Greek language, has, has been used to, to describe the idea of, of to choose or to receive or to allot or assign something. And most of the time that it was used in the classical Greek, it, it meant to pick something by lot or to obtain something by Lot by chance, by pulling out, uh, I pulled out the golden ticket, and so therefore I obtained the trip to the chocolate factory. That's not what Paul is referring to here. God did not choose us by reaching into his bag and pulling out something that he was surprised. No, he chose intentionally. We've already discussed that a couple of weeks back. So, so this word boiled down either means to, to receive something or it means uh, to choose something or it means to allot something to someone, to assign something. And, and there's a lot of debate on how this is translated. The ESV says, in Christ we have 
obtained an inheritance. Why is he using this idea of inheritance? Because because he's going to talk about an inheritance that we are are party to in verse number 14. And and so a number of translations will will take it to mean that, that, that Paul is talking about that inheritance beginning here. There are others who understand this to be that that not not that we are obtaining an inheritance, but that this word is to reference the fact that we are being made an inheritance to God. Now, you've heard folks say, you know, what do you get somebody who has everything? And it's not the idea that that God is is in need of us. But it carries with it, because of the voice that this Greek word is in, it carries with it this idea of, of that we are being made. Not, not that we are receiving, but that we are being made into an inheritance that is God's. Or we're being made into a heritage that belongs to God. I personally think that's probably what Paul is saying here. But whether we understand it as we are receiving or we are being made into, the bottom line is the first two words in that verse are in Him. We are praising Christ because in Him by faith alone and His work done on the cross for us, Whether we understand this as we are receiving an inheritance, which we're going to get in verse number 14, or we are being made into a heritage, a possession belonging to God, either way, we've hit the jackpot, which ironically has been the title of this particular section that I haven't mentioned until today. But the bottom line is is that in Christ... We receive, we become everything in Him. We in Him have obtained an inheritance or we are being made into an inheritance. And Paul continues on by saying how God is going about this. He says, having been, and here's our tricky word again, predestined. God has given us an inheritance. God is making us into His heritage, into His possession, all having predetermined beforehand that this was what He's going to do. Look right here. Having been predestined, having been determined beforehand according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Now let's back up and unpack everything that Paul has said here. This praise to Christ that in Him, through His work, by faith in Him, we are now the recipients of an inheritance or we are becoming the inheritance or the heritage, the the possession of God. We're receiving the benefits of that according to God's predetermining will. Having chosen beforehand, having decided before when? Well, up in the first part, it says before the creation of the world, before the foundation of the universe, God decided that those who by faith trust in Jesus are going to receive or become in Christ 
this jackpot according to the purpose of Him. Who? God the Father. According to God the Father's purpose, meaning His plan, the thing that that He has always known, the thing that has always been complete, the thing that has always going to happen and will be accomplished just like He planned, according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Now this is really helpful for us in this time of crazy weird circumstances. You know, the, the question is, 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 is God the cause of this circumstance that's, that's, uh, that, that's, you know, turned the world upside down? Or is God simply a spectator who's disconnected and just watching what things uh, just come out because of a sinful world? It's that idea of, of what role does God play in this thing? And I think this verse right here gives us a real clear understanding when you couple it with Romans, God saying, or Paul saying that God works all things together for the good of those who love God. We've got another instance right here where Paul is saying that, that, that according to the purpose of God's will, when, when God decided on what He was going to do, His plan, His purpose, and He decided that nothing was going to interfere with that, He then in turn is active. He works all things, not necessarily that He's causing all things, but He's active in all things according to the counsel of His will. I think what Paul is saying here is not that God causes things like pandemics and hurricanes and, and, and other types of disasters and, 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 and pestilences that happen in our world. Of course, you can't read your Old Testament that you don't recognize that God has done that and certainly can do that. But, but he also would tell them that he was going to do these things or another. In our instance, we don't have any indication that God has caused this thing that we are wrestling with right now. But we certainly do have biblical precedent to understand that God is not in the background going, what, what am I going to do and how is this going to affect? And oh my goodness, they're having to sit at home and watch this on television and oh, things are going to fall apart. No, God is working in all things. God is active in all things according to his purpose. So that God is sovereign over all this, knowing from eternity past that this coronavirus thing was going to happen in our world at this time. And also any other circumstance or thing or happening, God has always known. And while it would be, I think, unbiblical to put the cause on God, I think it's perfectly visible to say that in those things, God was at work using them in whatever way he chooses to further his purpose. So I know when we have things that happen in our life that cause us pain and difficulty, it's natural for us to want to distance God from those things because we don't like the thought of God allowing something hurtful in my life 
Because we think, well, I, I wouldn't do that if, 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 you know, as a father, I wouldn't do that. I, I wouldn't do that if I was God. But, but don't we allow things in our children's life that, that, are, that are hurtful? Don't we allow them to go through things because we know it's going to benefit them? We do. And, and so does God, I think. I think that's what he's showing. In, in, in all of these things, God knows that this coronavirus, this pandemic, this world event will not sidetrack or stop or do anything to God's purpose. All it will do is give Him an opportunity to build us and strengthen us and cause the life of Christ to be more displayed in our life. Peter calls it suffering and so does James. Don't be surprised when you face various trials that that God allows to happen but for a purpose to build us and strengthen us. So we praise God the Son because in Him we are are the recipients of an inheritance or, or we're being made into a heritage or an inheritance for God, having been predetermined beforehand by God who works in all things, even things that seem uncouth, unhelpful, harmful even. God is active even in those things according to the counsel of His will. You know, when I've got a question, I want to go to somebody smart who can tell me what I should do, how this should work out. When, when God determines what He's going to do and whatever things are happening, He is the top of the mountain when it comes to experts. So according to the counsel of His own will, He's already determined that He's going to act in all things. And that in those things, He will push us toward His purpose. And then verse, verse number 12, So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And then I'll read verse, the first part of verse 13. In Him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, and I'll stop right there. There are a number of Bible scholars who think that what Paul is saying right here, he's continuing this thought, and then he's going to start talking about we and you. And there are a number of uh, Bible scholars who think that what Paul is about to do is to, to make a, a, a distinction between the, the Jews who believed and put their faith in Messiah Jesus and then the Gentiles. So Paul is saying we who first believed, talking about we Jews who were the first to put our faith in Jesus as Messiah and then you Gentiles. There are a number of folks that think that's what Paul is doing. I, I, I find that possible, but I don't find that probable because he's using we and us and all of that and you throughout this whole section and doesn't say anything about Jew and Gentile. He'll do that later on in this letter, but not right here. I think what he's doing, and, and I'm backed up with a lot smarter guys than me, guys and gals that, that take that what Paul is doing, he's describing first 
the we who were the first wave of believers and then now the you who have come to faith in Jesus because of our message. We were the ones who heard from Him and now you're the ones who are hearing from us. I think that's what Paul's doing. So let's go back. We praise God the Son because of what He has provided for us in Him according to the predetermined purpose and will of God who's working in all these things so that we who were the first ones to put hope, and I think he's referring to faith here in hope and hope in the Messiah, who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. The first ones of us who recognize that that this Jesus from Nazareth is in fact God's Messiah. He's the one that was promised. He was the one that was that was prophesied about and we were the first to put our hope in him and 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 our faith and and in Christ actually brought praise to God because we were fulfilling his purpose for those of us who were the first to the praise of his glory. And then verse number 13, in him talking about in Christ. Now you also, Ephesians or Romans or Corinthians or Athenians or Floridians or Georgians or South Carolinians. Now in in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, and we'll keep that right there because the, the, the phrase doesn't end. He gives us this plan of salvation, this, this progress of how it works. We, we hear the gospel and then we, we trust the gospel. We also, when we heard the good news, the truth, the gospel that we're sinners, that we are condemned before God Almighty, but in His great love and grace and mercy, He's provided a, a pathway to forgiveness. And His name is Jesus in His work on the cross, in His dying in our place and for our sin and being raised victorious over death and ascended back to the Father where He currently awaits the, the, the orders to return and get those who are His children. When we heard that gospel of salvation, we also believed. And just like those who were the first to put their hope in Christ, they, they became the praise of the glory of God. Now, when we too believe, we also, by fact of our faith, become a praise to the one who purposed that that would be the reality for our life. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He moves now from let's praise God the Father through let's praise God the Son to now let's praise God the Holy Spirit. You know, the Scripture doesn't say a lot about the Holy Spirit, certainly not in comparison to how much it says about God the Father when you consider the Old Testament and as much as it talks about God the Son, Jesus Christ in the New Testament. By comparison, the Holy Spirit is not talked about as much, but He's no less the third person of the triune God than the Father or the Son. God the Holy Spirit is 100% God 
And he's no less than the Father or the Son. And here Paul takes this, this turn here and he's saying, we're praising Jesus who has brought us into this inheritance, ours or his, according to the predetermining purposes of God at work in his purpose through the counsel of his will that we became praiseworthy those of us who believe first Paul says and now you when you believed we are to the praise of his glory and when you did now we can praise God the Holy Spirit because when you trusted Jesus when you became a follower of Jesus by faith Christian you were according to this passage here you were sealed with the promised holy spirit we're sealed we're brought into the family we're adopted as sons and daughters and then we're sealed i think about that judge when the family stands before the judge in the adoption court and they're asked those questions those those questions of finality are you taking and do you are you committing that this child will be yours in the presence of these authorities and then that judge takes and stamps that thing and authorizes that thing and it's paperwork and you're in the family and no one can say differently we're sealed in the in the roman time in which paul was writing these seals were used as a, as official uh, making things official by by providing security authenticity a seal of approval a seal of genuineness and a seal of ownership and what became sealed became irrevocable now, I know there's a lot of debate on, on, on this subject, and wow, we've had a lot of them in this passage. But, but this particular verse right here fuels an absolute confidence that I have in the doctrine known as eternal security. Not this idea that some have that eternal security means that, that I trust Jesus as my Savior. I say some words and I pray a prayer and then I get saved and then I can just go, I can just go live any old way and God is obligated to take me to heaven when I die anyway. That is not even remotely what eternal security teaches. The idea, the doctrine of eternal security is that when you become a follower of Jesus by faith, when you are adopted into the family of God, nothing can remove you from God's family. Now, I'll be honest with you. I wrestle with what it means for, for particular individuals who, who in recent days have been adamant followers of Jesus and then have come out and said that we're renouncing our faith. Or some have called it deconstructing our faith. I, I'm saying that I'm no longer a follower of Jesus. I wrestle with that because I think, how is it possible for someone who is a follower of Jesus to then turn around one day and decide they're not one? Can I just be, can I just be real transparent with you? I, I don't know how that works. I'm not God and God's not told me how that works. But, but here's what I do know. I do know that there are a lot of kids when they reach teenage years that say a lot of dumb stuff. You know how I know that? Because I was one that said a lot of dumb things in a time in my life where I just really didn't understand what was going on. I didn't really understand where my place was. And I've said some really dumb stuff that I look back on and really regret. 
I've said some things that I don't really mean. And, and, and can I tell you this? None of the things that I said ever took me out of my family. Not one. And now I look back on those and I think, wow, how, how immature, how dumb, how, how, how un, un, without understanding I was to have said or thought those things. And, and you know what? I think it's possible that some folks who say they're renouncing the faith may just be going through a spiritual teenage phase. I don't know. But here's what I do know. I know that those who are owned by God, sealed by the Holy Spirit, there is nothing that can revoke that ownership. Not my sin, not God changing His mind about me, we're sealed. We know that the Holy Spirit provides us that connection to God. We won't need a, won't need a priest. We have a high priest in Jesus, and we, and we have the person of the Holy Spirit who communes and understands the heart of God because He is God. But He also represents ownership, authority, authenticity, genuineness, security. We're sealed, He says, and we need to praise God the Holy Spirit as our seal. Who is, going on to verse number 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance? He's the down payment, if you will. He's the earnest of our inheritance. Now, this word here, inheritance, is a translation of the word that we're using for inheritance. The Holy Spirit not only seals us, but He provides us the guarantee. He provides us the down payment. Uh, you know, God is a keeper of his word. In the letter to Titus, Paul says that God cannot lie. So if God gives you a down payment and says, you can count on me to fulfill the remainder, you don't have to do a credit check on the creator of the universe, the saver of your soul. He's guaranteed by the person, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that everything he has promised that inheritance will be yours, will be mine. And not because of anything we've earned, not because of anything we've done to deserve it, but because of His grace and because we are in Christ, what is His is also ours. And the Holy Spirit is that guarantee. We understand an inheritance. We understand that, that the, uh, the, in the royals over in England, we understand that the princes and princesses, they have an inheritance that will be theirs. But they don't have it all now. They've got to wait on their turn, so to speak. We don't have all that God has promised us now. We got everything we need to navigate anything we have to between now and then, but we don't have all that God has promised in our possession. But there's coming a day when we will. And we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. He's our guarantee until we acquire possession of it. Now, maybe a better translation of that, NIV does a little bit better job of translating the words, until the redemption of those who are God's possessions... You remember back in verse number 11 when we talked about we're being made into a heritage for God? I think that's why he's using that because he says here, he's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions, until we acquire possession of it. 
When is that? At the return of Jesus. He said, wait a minute, I thought we were already redeemed. You're right. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are being redeemed by the work of God through the Holy Spirit and sanctifying work, causing us to look and sound and think and act more like Jesus than we do like us. And we will be redeemed. Romans says we're awaiting the redemption of the body when we'll be redeemed, not just from the power of sin, but we'll be redeemed from the presence of sin. When we talked about a couple of weeks ago, how that while we have redemption, we're looking forward to that day when we no longer wrestle anymore with the sin that is still resident within us by our very own nature. We praise God, the Holy Spirit, because when by faith we trusted Jesus, he sealed us as owned by our creator, as purchased by our Savior. And he became that guarantee of all of the inheritance that's been promised to us. What are those things? Well, we could use the very common word heaven. I wrote down the kingdom. I wrote down eternity. All of those things that we are hoping for because we know that if, if in this life, if this is all there is for us to hope in, we're of all people miserable, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. But resurrection is ours. Resurrection from the dead. Resurrection from this, from this body of sin that we still live in. Resurrection from sickness. Resurrection from viruses. Resurrection from anything that would cause us to stumble. We will be redeemed. And the Holy Spirit is our guarantee that that day is coming for you and for me. Who know Jesus by the faith, who know Jesus by faith to the praise of his glory. We praise God the Father for what we have in Christ. We praise God the Son for who we are and what we have in him. We praise the Holy Spirit for what he represents in us today and what promises are ours visible in him for that day to come. The doxology says, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Christian, we have every reason to praise God. We don't know why things are like they are. But we know God does. And we know God is capable of using it for His glory in our life. And we know that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are active in our life, having provided all that we need to accomplish everything that He's called us to do and to be while we wait on the return of Jesus, when in that fullness of time, all things will be brought to completeness. Things in heaven, things on earth, and we'll experience the inheritance that is ours. To the praise of His glorious grace, to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory. Now maybe you're with us and maybe you're watching. Maybe this is the first time. Maybe you've been watching the last couple of times. 
You still haven't come to that place where you're willing to surrender, but maybe today's the day. Maybe today you heard about Jesus crucified in your place and for your sin, and you're saying, did he really do that for me? The answer is, absolutely he did. Absolutely he gave his life for you. He bled and died to purchase your redemption. And, and deep inside where, where, where you know you, when you hear you, where you hear yourself think and ponder, right now, if, if God the Holy Spirit is tugging on you, if He's calling you to surrender, if He's saying to you, that's the truth, I love you, and I want you, to be my son, to be my daughter. It sounds very simple to God. I give up. I surrender to you. I'm a sinner and I know it. And I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he, he took my sin on himself and I believe he paid for it on the cross. And I believe that he rose from the dead victorious over sin. And I believe he's alive today. And for whatever reason, I believe you want me as your child. And I confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. I want to be yours. If that's you today, I hope you'll let me know. Send me a quick email that said, hey, I think I might have become a Christian today. And I'd love to be able to get back in touch with you so that we can talk about what this journey will look like between now and the return of Jesus, who's very much coming back. Church, we love you. We're praying for you. We're excited about Easter. Easter's not canceled. Jesus is risen. And Jesus is returning. And we have a responsibility to represent Him in these days. When we don't have all the answers, we do have the answer. And I hope that we'll be faithful to represent Him to the praise of His glorious grace, to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory. I look forward to us being together next week. But in the meantime, let me pray for you because we've got uh, a lot to do between now and then. Father, we thank You for the day. We thank You for the opportunity to be together around Your Word. We thank You for who You are, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we praise you for your gracious, loving activity and reaching to us to draw us to yourself. God, we don't deserve your love. God, we don't deserve the salvation that you've made available to us. God, we don't deserve to be your possession. We don't deserve any inheritance. We don't deserve anything. But we praise you for who we are in Christ. God, I pray that you'll give us courage. You'll give us wisdom. Father, I pray that you'll give us boldness to speak the truth to those that we come into contact with, even if it's six foot away. May we be representatives of the gospel today while we wait the return of Jesus, our Savior, our King. Because it's in His name that everybody said... 